إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So today then we begin with Another one of the famous books And that is Sahih Ibn Hibban The Sahih of Ibn Hibban The author is Al-Imam Abu Hatim Abu Hatim Muhammad Ibn Hibban Ibn Ahmad Ibn Mu'adh At-Tamimi Ad-Darimi Al-Busti Al-Imam Abu Hatim Muhammad Ibn Hibban Ibn Ahmad Ibn Mu'adh Ad-Tamimi Ad-Darimi Al-Busti That was the name of Al-Imam Ibn Hibban Wulida Sanata Bidu' Wa Sab'ina Wa Mi'atayn he was born in the year 270-odd. Somewhere in the region of 270-odd. Hijri. Watufiya and he died in the year 354 Hijri. Died in the year 354 Hijri. The name of his book Famously, it is known amongst the scholars as Sahih ibn Hibban. Wasmuhu kama dhakarahu al-mu'allif. And the name of the book as the author ibn Hibban himself mentioned in the introduction of the book. Al-Musnad al-Sahih ala taqasim wal-anwa' من غير وجود قطع في سنديها ولا ثبوت جرح في ناقليها. A long title mentioned in the introduction by Imam Ibn Hibban himself. المسند الصحيح على التقاسيم والأنواع من غير وجود قطع في سنديها ولا ثبوت جرح في ناقليها. A full title there indicating that the narrations are connected and they are authentic upon the various types of them without any breakage in the chains of narration, neither any established refutation or disparagement of the narrators themselves. All of those points mentioned in his title. But as we said, it is famously known amongst the scholars as Sahih ibn Hibban. As for his condition, what did he make as a condition upon himself when selecting narrations to put into his book? Qala rahimahullah fi muqaddimati. He said himself in his introduction, Amma shartuna fi naqalat ma awda'nahu كتابنا هذا من السنن فإنا لم نحتج فيه إلا بحديث اجتمع في كل شيخ من رواته خمسة أشياء He says as for the condition that we have placed upon what we put into this book the narrations that are going to go into his book he says, we will not use, I will not use a narration except that all of the narrators have five factors, five points within them. One is, Al-Adalah Fiddeen Bissatr Al-Jameel That they are recognized as upright individuals religiously. All of the narrators that he picks from, he says five points have to be in them. One is al-adala fid-deen, that they are people of honor in their religion. 
people of honor in their religion, upright in their religion. Secondly, as-sidq fil hadith bi shuhrati fi to be recognized and known as truthful in narrating in their hadith. Thirdly, al-aqal bima yuhadithu min al-hadith that they have the intellect, i.e. the understanding of what they are narrating themselves, that they have the understanding of what they are narrating, what they are reporting. Fourthly, العلم بما يحيل من معاني ما يروي that they have knowledge regarding the meanings of what they are narrating they have understanding and knowledge of the narrations the meanings of them and fifth المعتري خبره عن التدليس that what they narrate does not have any تدليس Tadlis, it is one of the fields in the sciences of hadith where they speak about tadlis. It has lots of different forms, tadlis, and it means in different contexts, different things that they may have done. For example, to highlight what tadlis is, give an example of it to make it easy to understand. Imagine now there was a narrator who narrates a particular hadith from his sheikh, who narrates from his sheikh, from his sheikh, the chain of narration. But this narrator, narrator D, narrates from narrator C, who narrates from B, who narrates from A, the companion from the Prophet ﷺ. This narrator D who narrates from narrator C, Narrator D is 60 years old, 65 years old. He's narrating from narrator C who is 23 years old. Doesn't look too good. An old sheikh narrating from a young man, 23 years old. He can have a, a type of appearance that maybe this narrator D a sheikh in his late 60s doesn't particularly want to present this fact that he's narrating from somebody a third of his age. So what they might do is, narrator D, who is narrating from narrator B, and narrator, uh, sorry, narrator D, narrating from this 20-year-old narrator C. Narrator C, his name is, for example, Muhammad uh, Ibn Khalid, uh, Ibn uh, Uthman, he has a particular name. Uh, and he is recognized with some particular title or some particular tribe. When narrator D narrates, he will say, I narrated it from Muhammad Ibn, the son of, uh, what did we say, Khalid? Muhammad, the son of Khalid. And maybe he'll just stop there. He won't mention the tribe of that narrator. He won't mention any specifics of that narrator. Because there happens to be another Muhammad, the son of Khalid, another narrator, who's in his 70s too. So when people look at this, they will probably automatically assume when he's narrating from Muhammad, the son of Khalid, it's that other narrator in his 70s. Because he's not specifying it's from the tribe of such and such and that's the one in his 20s then. So by leaving it blank and leaving it open like that, people are going to assume it's the other one. And they are both authentic narrators, they are both valid narrators, doesn't make an issue like that. But this is a type of tadlis, whereby he is basically covering up in a way or blanking out or generalizing in a way who he's narrating from because he doesn't want it to be known that he was narrating from somebody a third of his age. So the way they'll quote it, it'll be maybe understood that it was the other one when actually it was this young one. So it's not lying. He said he narrated from Muhammad ibn Khalid, but he just hasn't given the details 
beyond that to make it clear it's the young one. He's left it open. Or another example, he might say to you, so I narrated this hadith, uh, let's say now the problem is uh, in narrator C again, this Muhammad ibn Khalid, for example, made up. And then above that is Uthman, narrator B. So he'll say, I narrated this hadith from Uthman, from narrator A, from the Prophet ﷺ. So is that chain correct what he's mentioned? Because he's not mentioned narrator C, who was Muhammad. However, I wasn't taking a drink of water there because I was thirsty. They sometimes used to do something on purpose, which was to make a purposeful gap in their narration of the chain of narration. And that gap was the gap that they were leaving out. So now in that gap, there is somebody there, but he's not, they they did it in a way where a a pause was left in the chain of narration, or a gap was opened up in the chain of narration in the way that they quoted it even, and that gap would be where this narrator C was. For example, again, they may... I mean, there's other examples of Tadlis. It's, it's a type of, it's not lying. It's not to the level that you say they lied. It's not lying. But it's ambiguity, you could say. That there was a degree of ambiguity in some of the things that occurred in some of those narrations. So here he says, anything like that, any types of these ambiguities, then we don't take it. Narrators who may have engaged in some of these ambiguities, then we don't take them. We'll maybe do the details of Tadlis one day, inshallah, when we do the sciences of hadith and break it all down. It's a, a significant section about Tadlis and how it works and the different narrators who were mudallisun and the different levels of Tadlis. Some of it might be more severe than others. Like the one leaving the gap, that's a bit more severe than the one just leaving it ambiguous as to which Muhammad ibn Khalid it is. So that's another topic in of itself. But he says here, we don't take any of that. Any narrator who was known for Tadlis, then it's out. So the narrators that Ibn Hibban takes from, he says, those who are upright in their religion, those who are truthful in their narrations, those who have understanding of what they are, saying those who have knowledge of the meanings of their narrations and they don't engage in any tadlis فَكُلُّ مَنْ اجْتَمَعَ فِيهِ هَذِي الْخِصَالِ الْخَمْسِ احْتَجَجْنَ بِحَدِيثِهِ وَبَنَيْنَا الْكِتَابَ عَلَى رِوَايَتِهِ He says, so the narrators who have these five characteristics in them, that's the ones that we've built our book upon, it's their narrations that we have put into our book. وَكُلُّ مَنْ تَعَرَّ عَنْ خَصْلَةٍ مِنْ هَذِي الْخِصَالِ الْخَمْسِ لَمْ نَحْتَجَّ بِهِ And anybody who was missing any of these five, he said, we never took their narrations, we don't use their narrations as evidence, and we don't put them into the book. So it would appear then, that it was, it would appear, it would appear, that it was a reasonable level of, condition that he had put down in selecting the narrations he was going to use. Why did he write the book in the first place? We've been talking about the reasons why Al-Imam Al-Bukhari wrote Sahih Al-Bukhari, why Al-Imam Muslim wrote uh, Sahih Muslim, why some of the others wrote the books that they wrote. Why did Ibn Hibban put together this book, Sahih Ibn Hibban? He says, Himself, وَإِنِّي لَمَّا رَأَيْتُ الْأَخْبَارَ طُرُقُهَا كَثُرَتْ وَمَعْرِفَةُ النَّاسِ بِالصَّحِيحِ مِنْهَا قَلَّتْ He said, when I noticed 
And remember, we're now which century in? Into the 4th century. We're going into the 4th, 5th century now. He says, by this time I noticed, obviously now, that the chains of narration were getting a lot longer. It wasn't just from uh, C to B to the Prophet anymore. Now it was like F, I'm going onwards to E, D, C, upwards. It was a long chain of narration now. They were becoming longer and longer as time went on and on. Like these days right now, you can get chains of narrations with approximately 25 men in the chains of narration, 20 men in the chain of narration. They exist today. In those days, still it was getting to maybe 5, 6. They were getting longer and they were multiple chains of narration as well. So they were starting to develop those chains of narration now. And he said, when I noticed that, and I noticed how many multiple chains of narrations exist, and the fact that many people didn't know how to differentiate between the authentic chains of narrations and the non-authentic ones. Many people didn't know how to separate and distinguish between those. Because they had become preoccupied with books of fabricated narrations. And to memorize the mistakes and that which was twisted and wrong in the narration. So it got to the level where the authentic narrations, it was almost as though the people had become preoccupied trying to distinguish and work out everything else. They almost became preoccupied from where the authentic narrations are. So Ibn Hibban says that he noticed this and therefore he wanted to put together another book now with all of the authentic chains of narration up to his time. Because it's one thing saying, well why not just go back to Bukhari? Because he was above them. Now the chains of narration had extended and people were using these extended chains of narration now. So these extended chains of narration needed clarification. They needed clarification where those authentic narrations are, where the hadith are coming down in the authentic chains, etc. وَأَنَّ مَنْ جَمَعَ السُّنَنْ مِنَ الْأَئِمَّةِ الْمَرْضِيِّينَ وَتَكَلَّمَ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْفِقْهِ وَالدِّينِ أَمْعَنُوا فِي ذِكْرِ الطُّرُقِ لِلْأَخْبَارِ وَأَكْثَرُوا مِنْ تِكْرَارِ الْمَعَادِ للآثار قصدا منهم لتحصيل الألفاظ على من رام حفظها حفظها رام حفظها من الحفاظ فكان ذلك سبب اعتماد المتعلم على ما في الكتاب Also he says that those scholars who put together the sunan from the scholars of fiqh and the scholars of the religion they delved into the chains of narration and the multiple chains a lot. And they mentioned all of the various narrations and the wordings, put them all together in order to provide that information for those who wanted to memorize all of those things. And so because of that, now multiple chains and multiple wordings, it needed for the students a book that they could refer back to with the authentic narrations in there that they could memorize and they could learn. ثُمَّ قَالَ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ فَتَدَبَّرْتُ الصِّحَاحِ لِأُسَهِّلَ حِفْظَهَا عَلَى الْمُتَعَلِّمِينَ وَأَمْعَنْتُ الْفِكْرِ فِيهَا لِأَلَّا يَسْعُبْ وَعْيَهَا عَلَى الْمُقْتَبِسِينَ He said, so I considered and I pondered over all of the authentic books, the authentic hadith, to try and simplify them, to make it easier for the students to memorize. So he said, I delved into that and I thought about it carefully to make sure that it wouldn't be difficult for people to understand and for people to grasp. So in essence, he's saying he was trying to simplify things too in his book and to make it easier, the chains and the authentic narrations, etc. Manhaj ibn Hibban fi sahihih Qala rahimahullah fi bayan manhajihi 
فرأيتها تنقسم خمسة أقسام متساوية متفقة التقسيم غير متنافية فرأيتها تنقسم خمسة أقسام He said that I noticed or I believed, I perceived, I considered that it, the, the narrations, they split up into five aspects Firstly الأوامر التي أمر الله عباده بها The commandments that Allah gave to His servants One types of narrations are The commandments that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Placed upon His servants And that is approximately 110 types within the book والثاني النواهي التي نهى الله عباده عنها Secondly, the prohibitions that Allah سبحانه وتعالى placed upon His servants And that is approximately 110 types والثالث إخباره عن محتيج إلى معرفتها The information Regarding that which we are in need of knowing Various sunan, various hadith with information that we need to know And there's approximately 80 types in that category Al-ibahat, fourthly Al-lati ubihartikabuha The mubah, narrations regarding the mubah That was the fourth category, approximately 50 types he had Wal-khamis أفعال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم التي انفرد بفعلها Actions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he specifically only did And that is mentioned in approximately 50 types ثم قال فجميع أنواع السنن 400 نوع على حسب ما ذكرناها So he says all together there are approximately 400 types of sunnah. Approximately 400 types of sunnah. He had 110 in the commandments, 110 in the prohibitions, 80 in the information, uh, 50 in the mubah section, and another 50 or so in the actions specific to the Prophet ﷺ. There are thereabouts 400 categories altogether. فَهَذَا آخِرُ أَنْوَاعِ السُّنَنْ وَقَدْ فَصَّلْنَاهَا عَلَى حَسَبْ مَا أَصَّلْنَا الْكِتَابَ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ تَقَاسِيمِهَا وَلَيْسَ فِي الْأَنْوَاعِ الَّتِي ذَكَرْنَاهَا مِنْ أَبْوَلِ الْكِتَابِ لَآخِرِهِ نَوْءٌ يَسْتَقْصَى He says all of these categories, none of them we've absolutely completely filled up. All of them, they have remainder. They are not all of them absolutely completely filled up to the Maximum that they are going to be filled up But also he does attempt to clarify the wordings of narrations And to clarify the meanings of a hadith وَيُعْتَبَرْ صَحِيحِ بْنِ حِبَّانِ مَوْسُوعَ كَبِيرًا فِي الْفِقْهِ عَلَى طَرِيقَةِ أَهْلِ الْحَدِيثِ The book of Ibn Hibban is considered as one of the big encyclopedias in fiqh upon the methodology of the people of hadith you have books of fiqh which are written upon the style of hadith meaning you have like the chapter of prayer and then in there are all of the hadith about prayer so it's a book of hadith but on the chapters of fiqh so this is similar in that way it is an encyclopedia in the topics of fiqh but upon the hadith uh, and he highlights explanations, mentions fine, precise points in the meanings, annotates certain aspects. So it is a book with benefit within it, no doubt. The scholars praised the book of Ibn Hibban. The scholars praised the book of Ibn Hibban. Uh, it is mentioned that As-Sakhawi, he said, قال الحازمي ابن حبان أمكن في الحديث من الحاكم. 
that Ibn Hibban is more grounded and able when it comes to hadith than Al-Hakim, Al-Nisaburi. وقال ابن كثير أن ابن كثير said قد التزم ابن خزيمة ابن حبان الصحة that ابن خزيمة that we already spoke about and ابن حبان both of them stuck to only the authentic narrations وهما خير من المستدرك بكثير وأنظف أسانيدا ومتونا and it is better than المستدرك of الحاكم we haven't spoken about yet and it is better than that by a lot. And the chains of narration of Ibn Hibban are a lot cleaner. And the uh, narrations are a lot cleaner. What are the opinions of the scholars regarding this book? The scholars, for example, Abu Amr ibn Salah, he said regarding the mustadrak of al-hakim, وَهُوَ وَاسِعُ الْخَطُوْ في شرط الصحيح متساهل في القضاء به ويقاربه في حكمه صحيح ابن حبان البستي رحمهما الله جميعا أبو عمر بن صلاح he says that the book of الحاكم مستدرك of الحاكم and in fact the صحيح of ابن حبان they do have a lot of leniency actually in terms of the authentic narrations. They say it's authentic and they're going to stick to those conditions, Ibn Hibban said. But he did have a lot of leniency actually. A lot of leniency in what he allowed into authentic narrations. That is mentioned by many scholars. That Ibn Hibban was actually very lenient with things. Whereas we spoke about some of the scholars before were very strict on what they allowed into the authentic. Ibn Hibban was on the other end with some degree of leniency in what he allowed in. And that is something which is mentioned and pointed out regarding Ibn Hibban. That he did have a degree of leniency that perhaps went beyond some of the other scholars and so the narrations that were in there, some of them were definitely not uh, considered as authentic and some of the narrators that he chose, others would not have chosen. He was a lot more lenient with them, that this narrator is okay, we can take from him and that narrator is okay, we can take his narration. He was a lot more lenient than some of the other scholars. The other one that we've just been mentioning now then, we'll briefly go over that today as well, is the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim. Mustadrak. And Al-Mustadrak is by Abu Abdullah, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Muhammad Al-Hakim Al-Naysaburi. He was known as Al-Hakim Al-Naysaburi. Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Muhammad. And his book is called Al-Mustadrak ala Sahihain. And that basically means like, like the extra onto the Sahihain, the, the additions of hadith that he put on on top of the Sahihain. Other narrations that he viewed as authentic, that he attached on to the Sahihain, the Mustadrak of uh, Al-Hakim. He says, وَقَدْ سَأَلَنِي جَمَاعَ مِنْ أَعْيَانِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ بِهَذِهِ الْمَدِينَةِ وَغَيْرِهَا أَنْ أَجْمَعَ كِتَابًا يَشْتَمِلُ عَلَى الْحَدِيثِ الْمَرْوِيَّ بِأَسَانِيدِ يُحْتَجِّ مُحَمَّدِ بْنِ إِسْمَعِيلِ وَمُحَمَّدِ بْنِ حِجَّاجِ بِمِثْلِهَا so Al-Imam Al-Bukhari had certain narrators that he would take from authentic, legitimate narrators. Al-Imam Muslim had certain narrators that he would take from, they had their conditions. Al-Hakim says that he's going to use their same conditions, apply it to the narrations and see if he can find other narrations that fit into the same category and the same condition of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And that's what he's going to put into his book. Using the same conditions and narrators that Bukhari a Muslim used, he's going to try and find other hadith that match into them. 
that Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, didn't mention. So technically, in theory, all of these other narrations should also be completely authentic because he's using the guidelines of Al-Bukhari, a Muslim. So that was the purpose. That's why they call them the Mustadrak. It's something on top of Al-Bukhari, a Muslim. It's using the same guidelines as Al-Bukhari, a Muslim to find other narrations that match up to the level of the narrations in Bukhari and Muslim. That's what he says some of the scholars requested from him to do. إِدْ لَا سَبِيلَ إِلَىٰ إِخْرَاجِ مَا لَا عِلَّةَ لَهُ فَإِنَّهُمَا رَحِمَهُمَا اللَّهِ لَمْ يَدَعْيَا ذَلِكَ لِأَنفُسِهِمَا ثُمَّ قَالْ وَأَنَا أَسْتَعِينُ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ إِخْرَاجِ أَحَدِيثِ رُوَاتُهَا ثِقَاتِ قَدْ احْتَجَّ بِمِثْلِهَا so he says that I seek aid from Allah to uh, gather these narrations, to collect these narrations, whereby their narrators are authentic to the level of the narrators that Al-Bukhari a Muslim used. So in theory, he should be collecting all of the other authentic narrations too. وقال الحافظ أبو عمر ابن صلاح واعتنى الحاكم أبو عبد الله الحافظ بالزيادة في عدد الحديث الصحيح على ما في الصحيحين مما رآه على شرط شيخين وقد أخرج عن رواته في كتابيهما أو على شرط البخاري وحده أو شرط مسلم وحده أو ما أدى اجتهاده إلى تصحيحه وإن لم يكن على شرط واحد منهما So he basically used the narrators that Bukhari and Muslim used and if that was the case, these narrations should all be authentic too. But then on top of that, he did from his own ijtihad uh, add the narrations that he viewed to be authentic as well. So what did the scholars say about this then? Some of them have mentioned like Ibn Salah, that Al-Hakim, despite using the guidelines of Al-Bukhari and Muslim and the narrator's of Al-Bukhari a Muslim, he was actually very lenient. Very lenient in how he used those narrators and which narrations he found in declaring them authentic. Very lenient in fact, even though he was generally going off the types of guidelines of Al-Bukhari a Muslim and how they picked the narrators etc. He did end up actually further away on the scale significantly and was quite lenient in what he considered as authentic and declared as authentic. Um, he was very expansive, very open to what he allowed into the boundary of authenticity. He was a lot more open and expansive in what he allowed into the boundary of authenticity. فَالْأَوْلَىٰ أَنْ نَتَوَسَّطَ فِي أَمْرِهِ فَنَقُولْ مَا حَكَمَ بِصِحَّتِهِ وَلَمْ نَجِدْ ذَلِكَ فِيهِ لِغَيْرِهِ مِنَ الْأَئِمَّ إِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ مِنْ قَبِيلِ الصَّحِيفَ هُوَ مِنْ قَبِيلِ الْحَسَنِ يَحْتَجُّ بِهِ وَعَمَلُ بِهِ إِلَّا أَنْ تَظْهَرَ فِيهِ عِلَّةُ وَجِبُ ضَعْفُهُ So they mention that we have to be balanced when it comes to Al-Hakim Al-Naysaburi. We have to be balanced when it comes to him. If he declared some narration to be authentic and we don't find anybody else from the scholars who mentioned that, then if that narration, it may be from the authentic ones or it may be from the Hassan narrations, if or unless there is some uh, illa, some defect that is found in it, then otherwise it, it could be from Sahih, it could be from Hassan and that is because Al-Hakim was a lot more lenient. His ruling on a hadith for it being sahih may not actually be at the level of sahih. Many of the other scholars may have it a lot lower, somewhat lower than being at the level of a sahih. So he said when Al-Hakim and Nisapuri declares a narration to be authentic, you have to just be balanced and look into that and what the scholars are saying uh, in terms of that ruling. أو دعه ما ليس في واحد من الصحيحين ليس كذلك فقد أودعه أحاديث في الصحيح وهما منه في ذلك 
وهي كثيرة منها حديث أبي سعيد الخدري مرفوعا لا تكتب عني سوى القرآن رواه الحاكم في مناقب أبي سعيد الخدري وقد أخرجه مسلم في صحيحه في كتاب الزهد وقد بيّن الحافظ الذهبي في مختصر المستدرك كثيرا من الحديث التي أخرجها في المستدرك وهي في الصحيح In the mustadrak of al-hakim, the point was that al-hakim was going to find extra narrations upon the guidelines of al-Bukhari and Muslim that weren't in Bukhari and Muslim. The whole point of this book was the extra. But what the scholars have noticed is that there are quite a few narrations in this extra that are actually in al-Bukhari and Muslim that he hadn't realized or had accidentally overlooked and repeated them now here and they were actually already in al-Bukhari and Muslim. Which defeated the purpose here. Because the purpose here was to try and find the extras and the additions. مِمَّا رَوَاهُ عَلَى شَرْطِ الشَّيْخِينَ قَدْ أَخْرَجَ عَنْ رُوَاتِهِ فِي كِتَابَيْهِمَا فِيهِ بَيَانْ أَنَّ مَا هُوَ عَلَى شَرْطِهِمَا هُوَ مَا أَخْرَجَ عَنْ رُوَاتِهِ فِي كِتَابَيْهِمَا وَلَمْ يَرَدِ الْحَاكِمْ ذَلِكَ فَقَوْلُهُ بِمِثْلِهَا أَيْ بِمِثْلِ رُوَاتِهَا the other issue here is why did Al-Hakim get the ruling of being so lenient even though he was using the guidelines? Because he was using the guidelines and the narrators of Al-Bukhari and Muslim, but he was also upon his ijtihad using other narrators which he viewed were upon the guidelines of Al-Bukhari and Muslim and were suitable to be narrators of Al-Bukhari and Muslim. But that was his ijtihad. And often in that ijtihad, it didn't, the scholars say, does, didn't match up to what Al-Bukhari and Muslim would have used. So he was using other narrators, which he viewed in his ijtihad, matched up to the guidelines and to the level of the narrators of Al-Bukhari and Muslim. But often they did not. And so that's one of the reasons why many of the scholars considered it to be a lot more lenient. The opinions of the scholars then regarding it, طَالَعَةُ أَبَا سَعِيدَ الْمَالِينِ says طَالَعَةُ كِتَابَ الْمُسْتَدْرَكَ عَلَى شَيْخِينَ الَّذِي صَنَّفَهُ الْحَاكِ مِنْ أَوَّلِهِ لَأَخِرِي فَلَمَرَى فِيهِ حَدِيثًا عَشْرَتِهِمَا One of the scholars even said, I looked at the mustadrak of al-hakim, al-hakim's extras on al-Bukhari Muslim, and he said, I didn't find a single hadith upon the guideline of al-Bukhari Muslim. That all of them were below, they were all lower than the standard of al-Bukhari Muslim. One of the scholars, one of the scholars, his opinion, that all of the narrations in the add-on were all lower than the level of Al-Bukhari Muslim. That is the opinion of Abu, Abu Sa'ad Al-Malini from the older uh, scholars. وَقَالَ الذَّهَبِ تَعْلِيقًا عَلَى Older, I mean centuries ago. This is not from the modern scholars. قَالَ الذَّهَبِ تَعْلِيقًا عَلَى كَلَامِ الْمَالِينِ هَذِهِ مُكَابَرًا وَغُلُوبًا Al-Imam Al-Dhahabi said, this statement though is a bit exaggerated. That is a bit exaggerated to go that far. وَلَيْسَتْ رُتْبَةُ أَبِي سَعَدْ أَنْ يَحْكُمَ بِهَذَا And the scholar Abu Sa'ad himself isn't of that level to give this type of verdict and say they are not at the level of the Bukhari. None of them are. It's a bit of an exaggeration to make that claim. Al-Imam al-Dhahibi said actually in the Mustadrat there are many narrations upon the guideline and the level of al-Bukhari and Muslim. There are. And there are many that are upon the condition of one of them. And that's okay because one of them independently is still authentic. He says he expects maybe at least a third of the book, a third of the book of Al-Hakim, the hadith are of the level of Al-Bukhari, a Muslim of that standard. فَإِنَّكْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِنْ ذَلِكَ أَحَدِيثٍ فِي الظَّاهِرَ عَلَى شَرْطِ أَحَدِيهِمَا أَوْ كِلَيْهِمَا وَفِي الْبَاطِنَهَا إِعْلِ الْخَفِيَّ مُؤَثِّرًا There are many narrations though that look like they are of the standard of Al-Bukhari a Muslim, but when you examine in, there are some defects in the chains, some hidden defects. And that's the real fruit of sciences of hadith. The scholars who could pick out the little secretive, tiny defect in a chain of narration, they pick it out and they realize this is not authentic. But they are very difficult to spot. It's not obvious. It's not just like a narrator was known to be a liar. So if you see him, khalas, you know straight away, that's obvious. But there were lots of very hidden and very small, minuscule things 
that the narrators had to know about, the scholars had to know about, to be able to pick out in these chains of narrations. And only the ones who were expert could do those types of things. So it's mentioned that some of the narrations look like they're good, at the level and standard of Al-Bukhari Muslim, but actually when you go into them, they do have some hidden defects within them. Uh, and then, there is a categorization of the narrations, وَهُوَ كَلَامُ جْمَلِ احْتَاجِ لَإِضَاحُ تَبِيِّنَ فَنَقُولِ يَنْقَصِمُ الْمُسْتَدْرَكَ أَقْصَامُ The book of Al-Imam Hakim, Al-Hakim Al-Naysapuri, it can be split up into three sections. The first section, أَنْ يَكُونَ إِسْنَادُ الْحَدِيثِ الذي يخرجه محتجا برواته في الصحيحين وحديهما على سورة الاجتماع سالما من العلل that the chain of narration he has in a hadith is the same narrators from Al-Bukhari and Muslim or one of them upon the same style without any hidden defects that's one level of the narrations the second أن يكون إسناد الحديث قد أخرجا لجميع رواته لا على سبيل الاحتجاج بل في الشواهد في الشواهد والمتابعات والتعليق أو مقرونا بغيره The second selection are narrators again that are from Al-Bukhari and Muslim but they only use them as supplementary evidences They only use those particular narrators and chains as supplementary evidence not as core evidence whereas Al-Hakim uses those in the core of the book and brings in the narrations of them. Thirdly, أَنْ يَكُونَ الْإِسْنَادِ لَمْ يُخَرِّجَ لَهُ لَا فِي الْإِحْتِجَاجِ وَلَا فِي الْمُتَابَعَاتِ وَقَدْ أَكْثَرَ مِنْهُ الْحَاكِمِ The third category is then going to be narrators which Al-Hakim himself upon his ijtihad viewed to be of the level of the narrators of Al-Bukhari and Muslim and thought this was sufficient to add on and that is a lot in his book. There is a big section in his book where he uses his ishtihad upon the narrators which he thinks are of the level of Al-Bukhari and Muslim and obviously that's why a lot of uh, uh, deficiency came into the book because a lot of it wasn't agreed by the scholars to be of that level. So there is a good section of the book that is completely upon their level and there is another section which the narrators are their narrators but they only use them as supplementary and he's using them in a greater manner. And then the third section is where he himself has added narrators, and perhaps that's where a lot of this leniency occurred within his book. Some of the scholars have said that one of the reasons why this level of leniency occurred in his book, uh, and this deficiency that some of the scholars may highlight regarding his book, is because they say Al-Hakim and Naysapuri wrote this book, the Mustadrak at the end of his life, just before he died. And they say at that time he was elder in age at the end of his life and he wasn't maybe as sharp as he would have been in the younger days and maybe he overlooked things and it wasn't as carefully put together as maybe he would have done in the earlier years. But he was in his later years and maybe that was one of the reasons why there wasn't as much precision in it uh, that would have been in the earlier years. So that is the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim and the uh, Sahih of Ibn Hibban. There are several other books, but uh, we will skip some of them and go into some of the later sections. Uh, And the section really we'll begin with next time is the section regarding the Mawdu'at. You remember we mentioned how some of the scholars wrote books and only put in them the fabricated hadith. Not to misguide people, but to make them as encyclopedias people can refer to. So if somebody tells you a hadith and you got a feeling it's fabricated, you can go and check in his book. If you find it there, then you know, okay, it's a fabricated one. So it was like an encyclopedia. So we'll have a look at those books next. Some of these books the scholars wrote with just fabricated hadith in them. No authentic hadith. A book with fabricated hadith. So we'll have a look at that next time inshallah ta'ala. The f- books of fabricated narrations. We'll stop on that for today then.
Any questions or anything on that then before we uh, round off? Top of my head, I don't recall. From what I recall, generally it is authentic, but we can double check. We can double check. Allah alim if there is speech of the scholars regarding it, maybe. We'll double check that for this week. Everybody can try and do it for homework. But inshallah, we'll double check that this week. Anything else? Born and death. It's not mentioned here. We'll have to check that in the biography. Uh, oh, it mentioned, yeah, he was born in the year Al-Hakim al Naysaburi, born in the year 321 Hijri, and died in 405 Hijri. Born in 321, and died in 405. Hmm. That's not mentioned here. That we can, uh, uh, the Mustadrak isn't huge. The Mustadrak in the printed version, you can get it in six volumes. So compare that to uh, uh, some of the other books that we spoke about. It's it, it's not huge, but it's it's an average average size compared to the other books. But again, we can maybe bring a copy in. Uh, I'm supposed to bring copies in, but it is uh, there are six volumes. There's still a lot. Mm. Anything else? Any tadris in the main six books? Uh, in, uh, there are certain types of tadlis because this goes into the details of tadlis there are certain types which are acceptable it's not even a problem so for example in that uh, first example of narrating from somebody who's a third of your age he's authentic and the other guy with the same name in his 70s is authentic so even if somebody did mistake that look at the chain and think it was him it doesn't actually make any difference to the chain. They were both authentic narrators, and both chains would be completely authentic. The hadith would still be authentic. So in terms of the impact, there's no impact. So in that case, sometimes certain types of tadlis weren't really an issue. Okay, they understood he didn't want to really be known to be narrating from somebody a third of his age. Okay, the narration, there's no problem, there's no issue in it. So certain types of tadlis, there wasn't a major issue in them. Other types there is. Where narrators, for example, are not at the top level. They are middle level narrators in their ability and their memorization. Middle level narrators. If that type of middle level narrator, known for a bit of tadlis as well, says, I am narrating this hadith from Khalid ibn Muhammad, the narrator C. I am narrating it from Khalid ibn Abdullah. That now is a problem. Because when he says, I am narrating from Khalid ibn Abdullah, how is he narrating it from him? How? Did he hear it himself from him? He didn't say that. He just said, I'm narrating from this Khalid ibn Abdullah. Did he hear it himself? Did he go and read the hadith to him and Khalid ibn Abdullah confirmed it for him? Did he get it written down from Khalid ibn Abdullah? How did he narrate it from him? How? We don't know. And for a middle level narrator who is known for a bit of tadlis, then there's a possibility that he never heard this hadith. Maybe he just got it from somebody else, from some paper, some something else. So those now become problematic because now it could be a break in the chain of narration. So there's different levels of tadlis, but really all that, it's, uh, it's in the sciences of hadith. One day, inshallah, we'll get to it. There's a book called Bayhuniyyah, a very simple, simplified book on the sciences of hadith. Uh, it goes through all these different chapters. How do you classify uh, an authentic hadith? How do you classify a Hassan hadith? How do you classify a weak hadith? How do you classify tadlis? All these classifications are mentioned. Maybe one day we can get to that as well, inshallah. Uh, an-ana, is that when the... Uh, that's, that's what we're talking about here. An-ana, that's what we're talking about. Huh? Donations of body organs, it's differed about. Some scholars do say it is permissible for certain organs and things. They do have general fatawa saying it's permissible. But many scholars... Many of them say it is not. Because they say your body isn't your property. They say Islamically your body isn't your property. You can't just go do what you want with your body. You can't go just harm yourself. Haram. You can't go stab you. You can't, you can't just go do things. 
Your body is something Allah has blessed you with. It's not your property to go do what you want with it. The organs that Allah gave you are a blessing from Allah to you. So it is not permissible to extract them and take them out and do this and do that. So many scholars have the fatwa, it shouldn't be done. But it's not an issue anyway. You have the exemption form, everybody can fill it in. The exemption forms, you fill them in and that's it. Uh, and they won't take anything. Ustad, why would be mutasahil? No, it's not a case that they purposely wanted to be mutasahil, but it's because of their ijtihad. Like we said here now, he made ijtihad, but these narrators are of that level. But they weren't. And a lot of them were lower by a, a significant amount, and so they were termed as mutasahil. That he was a bit lenient. Maybe, like we said, there's an excuse for al-hakim. It was at the end of his life. He wasn't as precise with things, maybe. There's reasons. But it's not like somebody purposely says, I'm going to be mutasahil, and I'm going to leave it open and make it easy for everything to be authentic. It was just the way they did it. And other scholars, when they analyzed their work, they realized he's quite lenient with how he allows into the boundary of authentic. These narrators are only middle-level narrators. He's putting them up into authentic narrations. Things like that. I don't know the narration. We'll have to see. We have to check the narration if it is authentic. I don't know the narration of its authenticity. If it's coming from a Sufi source, you definitely have to double check it. <laughs> Especially narrations like this. I mean, from all of the narrations, they could tell you a narration about aqidah, a narration about some points of uh, names and attributes of Allah, the core points of iman and aqidah. You never hear those narrations from them. Only sto- stories like this. Only stories like this, and you pulled all of his teeth out. And only uh, you know these stories of encouragement. And these are the kinds of stories you only ever hear from them. You never hear hadith about the aqidah and about names and attributes and those things. So we'll double check it. I've never heard of that story. I've but never heard of it. Well, there you go. So, so they, they quote these kinds of narrations. Everybody check. The homework this week, try and find this narration. Find it where it is. We need to get a source first. Where is the narration from? Which book is it in? We'll be mentioning some books now. Where is it? Then when you know where it is, you can go check if it's authentic or not. Yeah. Well, I've heard it from my grandmother as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no scholar will do that though. No scholar. <laughs> so, next week, inshallah. Next week, it should be back to roughly normal time again, closer to 7 o'clock. 7, 10 past 7, latest quarter past 7, inshallah.